Got my chicken noodle soup. What do you got, Carl's? Well, I just finished eating pizza. <laughs> you finished it. You guys. Yeah. You, you have the Sorry, podcast. I ruined the cold No, it doesn't even. It doesn't even make sense now because Carly's not eating, and I didn't have you guys in the right spots in the overlay. What is? <laughs> dang it. So we're here with the Christian artist, um, and I'm pretty excited about today because we're back with uh, part two of our uh, little mini, it's not even really a series, it was just a two-part episode on ecclesiologies, but we're part, that's part of a bigger series, which is uh, the Christian and the ologies, right? Uh, all the different ologies that we might think about in Christian stuff. Uh -huh. like yeah, th that was intentional. <laughs> so perfect. Yep, <laughs> yep. Bro, I'm very sick. I don't know why I just took a bite. I was hoping that you'd talk longer, I guess. Um, I'm sick. So I apologize for my voice and everything and how it sounds. And uh, I probably won't have that much energy tonight either. But we're just gonna keep going. We're just gonna keep trying here on the Christian artist to to deliver something great to you all. And I know that at the very least, Angel is listening to to these. He's having a, a very very good time um, listening to uh, listening to these uh, Christian and theologies series. Um, he really liked the last ecclesiology episode, and he's excited to listen to this one. I don't think he's listening live, but he said he would definitely listen to the episode. So Connor's still not back. And so, I guess first, uh, Carly, what have you been up to? What have you been up to lately? Um, I got a job. So, now I make pizza. That's cool. And it's really good pizza, too. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. I mean, a job means money. Yeah. So, that's awesome. That's really good. It's really cool. And I think I just blew out the ears of everybody because I accidentally, accidentally had my mic too loud. I'm trying to produce really quickly here, attempting to do this correctly. It's not working quite as well as I would have hoped, but it's fine. Uh, and it's a good thing, though, that Connor's back because one of the slowest openings of all time just... <laughs> We didn't have anything. To, I wasn't even just going to start the conversation without you. So we just had Carly was telling the listeners about her new job, though. So that's good. Yeah, oh, that was a new thing. There you go. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, guess that. Yeah, it's just there was also some moments of silence that we're just kind of like, Indeed. all right, oh, we're waiting. No. Oh, it's no. not like anything like that has ever happened on the Christian artist before. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Never. So we're here. We're talking about we're what? More at the deli. Oh, yeah. It's true. It's true. And we officially had our second evangelism ministry meeting. Very nice. Very nice. nice. That was yesterday, so that was fun. Cool. Uh, yeah. So we're here with uh our part two of the Christian and ecclesiology. And uh, I'm gonna try to do. I'm. I'm hoping that all y'all have lots of thoughts on these next five because then I don't have to talk as much because I'm about to cough like every single time I say a thing. So I'll I'll keep going. I'll, I'll try. But like right. there might be a moment where I'm just like someone say something and I'll mute my mic and just cough a bit. Um, um, do any of them pertain to confirmation? 
Um, uh, if any of them, it would have been Fellowship, the one we just okay. finished talking about. Do you want to touch on that quickly? Yeah, I, I yeah. definitely wanted to talk about confirmation. Um, just the idea that uh, your pastor is the one that tells you that you're saved, right? Um, it is no singular person's business to point fingers at somebody and say, you are saved and you are not in the sense that they have authority and it is definitive. Now, we are all supposed to be, uh, as Christians, fruit inspectors, right? Judges not only of uh, false teaching and right teaching, right, rightly, evan rightly handling the word of truth, right? Uh, 2 Timothy 2.25, or maybe that's 2.15. Yeah, 2.15. Um, but also of a person's salvation, right? And if somebody goes into unrepentant sin, you excommunicate them from the church. We talked about that, right? Um, confirmation should not be a thing in the sense that you are confirming somebody's salvation. And that as a authoritative statement, because you cannot tell somebody that they are saved. God tells them that they are saved through the Bible and the Bible only, Right? Bible will tell them, hey, if you do this, you are not saved. If you are doing this, this is the fruit of the spirit, right? Stuff like that. You can point somebody to scripture and say, you are not saved because the Bible says so. But it is never one person's business, never one pastor's business to go around telling people. It's not like, yeah, the pastor has like a particular um, power to just declare whether or not someone is Right. Like even even excommunication rather than like, you know, church discipline, it's not saying you aren't a believer. It's just saying you are acting like an unbeliever. And so we will treat you like an unbeliever and you right. can't be part of this fellowship. Right. I mean, it is it's under the assumption that they're not saved. Um, yeah. And that's why you start witnessing to them because they're in unrepentant sin. That's the assumption you then make. Now, is that a definitive authoritative statement? No, it's the Bible's definitive and authoritative statement. Right. That's, that's the difference. And so uh, specifically with Lutherans, if, if there's confirmation or catechism, okay, let's talk about catechism even a little bit. A, a, uh, a knowledge of God is not salvific mm -hmm. in, this, uh, in, a, in a theological sense. Sure. Like, like knowing who God is, yeah, you have to know who God is. You have to know the gospel. You have to know Jesus. Uh, those are the things that the gospel proclaims right and that's how people are saved but agreeing to a specific catechism is not salvific there are tons of, of of catholics who are saved under false teaching because the gospel is in there somewhere or they're reading from verses that are the gospel right and however they distort that people can be saved under the hearing of the gospel even in catholic churches it is yeah. not a specific catechism that is salvific and so when if somebody goes to a lutheran church where they make authoritative statements and say this person is saved this person is not and that's off of human tradition so lutheran catechism right that is immoral that is wrong um now if we're talking about church membership of you are a part of this body of believers because we believe you to be saved because of what the Bible says, that's different. And if you wanted to do like a class on what our church stands for and what the Bible says, 
about salvation and stuff like that. And these are things that you have to agree to before we'll let you in in ministry in our church. That's different than, hey, come to this class and we'll show you whether or not you were saved if you agree to these knowledge claims. Right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that is wrong. And so I know I know that. Well, I, I, I can't say how many Lutheran churches. I can't give you a ratio because I, I don't know. But there are Lutheran churches that make catechism and confirmation a biblical thing under what we have just described. They just call it catechism and confirmation. That's sure. okay. Yeah. I, I would say that's that's immature because it's 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 unnecessarily confusing because what the Lutheran church does teach for about catechism and confirmation is not what the Bible teaches about church membership and stuff like that. Sure. Um, so that's tricky, but, and, and, but there are Lutheran churches that will say, Oh no, this person is not saved because confirmation or whatever. And also to point out the fact that lots of people go through confirmation classes, either at Catholic churches or Lutheran churches, and they're definitely not saved. And you know it mm-hmm. because you see them outside of that church thing. So that system right. doesn't work anyway. Um, so there's a problem there. So I just, I definitely wanted to address that. I thought about it. Well, yeah. So and- I don't think we really touched a lot on what actual, what like biblical church membership might look like. Do you want right. to talk briefly? Uh, either, either of you have thoughts on what, what, like if, if confirmation isn't what we... Um, isn't the right way to go about things. What is, what is, what is church membership? Should we have church membership? What does that mean? Carly, how does your church do it? Since you have a new church now? I'm honestly not sure yet. Are you guys members yet? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, the, see, I'm, I'm fairly new to the concept of actually being a member at a church. Like, because I don't think I was ever really a member of the old church that I was at because I wasn't 18 yet. So I couldn't like say, oh yes, I'm a member of this church, but I don't know if that was an actual like stipulation that I had to be 18 or I don't know. Right. It's all very confusing, but um, yeah. yeah, so I'm kind of, I don't really know a whole lot about like the actual logistics of that. Yeah, I mean that's that's what our church is similar. It, my, our church is similar in that way as well. I don't think it we have we don't have a particular um, like thing of actual church membership um, that I know of, and I don't. It's just basically the only thing we have is um, the GPS stuff, right, Connor? Yeah, which is um, stands for Gift Passion Services. Basically, if you want to serve a ministry in the church you you could take this class and uh and you know it's it's to make sure that you're an actual believer and then to to find out where your um gifts and talents might lie where you can serve in the church um but then again that is up to the ministry yeah uh, the people who That's run right. the gps classes don't really have any say as to whether or not they can be a part of a certain ministry they're just there to it's get just the first in. step yeah mm-hmm. um so in terms of what the bible says about church membership um i mean we we talked about this earlier um and this is why we're starting with this is because the last thing was fellowship um in part four so of course we just you know we're gonna this is gonna be a super long episode like the other one was yeah um but right like uh meeting together 
is a really important part of being in uh, being a Christian, right? So not neglecting to meet together. You need to be part of a church. That's obviously what needs to happen. But it's a question of what what does that look like? What is the actual biblical definition of church membership? What about the because because this is about the local church, right? Like obviously everyone is a member of the church, capital C. If you're a Christian, you're part of the church. Um, but what does the local church look like? Um, and I think it's it's I mean I would assume we'd go to to scripture. To, to figure this out. I don't remember a verse off the top of my head. Um, are you looking up something, Connor? Yeah, I'm looking up stuff. What, what are you talking about? Where, where can we go in scripture to look at like what church membership might look like in, in scripture? It's like we didn't prepare for this or, at all. I mean, I honestly <laughs> didn't because I didn't know we were going to talk about this topic particularly. So, I mean, we talked a lot about this uh, two weeks ago about like church discipline and stuff like that. The, the idea of church membership is less a, a uh, biblical mandate in the sense that the Bible says, hey, have church membership. There's no verse that will point to that as a thing. The, what, what church membership is, it's these are the people that we hold accountable. These are the people that, um, mm. have, that belong to this church. These are the people that we are discipling who have submitted themselves to the authority of the church. Now we do that because we have a culture where lots of people will come into a church and not stay. And that's to avoid confusion. That's to make sure that people are submitting themselves to discipleship and, and authority and discipline so that we don't, uh, we can make it clear of who we can approach a certain way and who we don't approach a certain way. Right. I mean, it's the same thing with, with, um, uh, it, the, the, the idea is because the culture is different. It's the same thing with um, church discipline and then treating somebody like a, a tax collector, or a Gentile. If somebody comes to your church and they're not a member, you treat them as if they aren't saved. You treat them and at, share the gospel with them. You, you try to, you know, you know, introduce yourself. Hey, what's your name? How did you, you know, why'd you come to this church? And, and, you know, you, you try to get to know them because, Hey, I don't know who this person is. They might not be saved. Right. Now, if somebody is a church member, then you're like, oh, hey, I haven't met you yet kind of a thing. How long have you been going to this church? What ministry are you involved in? You know, maybe, you know, whatever. It, the, the way that you treat them is very different. If so I know somebody is a church member and don't know them, I could call them out on something. Uh, oh, hey, you're a member of this church, right? I heard you use God's name in vain earlier. What's up with that? Um, oh, hey, uh, you church member, there's, there's a new person over here. I'm going to talk with this new person. Would you mind, uh, you know, taking that side, I'll take this side. You know, that's, that's the difference of how you would treat those two things. Um, and, and that's, that's clear to us in scripture about church discipline and how you right. treat church members. Sure. That's, that's, there's no distinction between visitors. The problem is the culture. That's why we have to address these things is because the culture has changed church. Sure. Yeah. And so I guess it's just a matter of who are you accountable to, right? Like this is the local body of believers that you are fellowshipping with on a normal everyday basis. And so you're underneath the authority of the, the pastor elders and you are, uh, you know, accountable to each other as the body of Christ, right? It's just a matter of there's no special class you have to take necessarily, right? It's just, are you a believer? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you been baptized? All right, okay, you're in church. Let's let's do this, right? Let's right. What be... what you're saying by saying that somebody has to take catechism before 
They can be a part of the church is saying, we don't tell our church members all the things that they need to know for godliness and righteousness. We'll have to take you aside in this special room. Right. And teach you these special things. Yeah. And why doesn't everybody get to know that? Right. Why don't all the lay people Mm -hmm. get to know that? And why isn't it reminded? Why are they reminded of it all the time? Right. Like, why isn't this Mm -hmm. just standard practice of preaching the word every week? Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Any other thoughts on, on that bit? I would say if you wanted to have a class that introduces people to the church, you know, that you had a, a certain amount of people just came to the church and, hey, this is our church history. This is what we stand for. Right. If you wanted to do something like that, that's fine. But people don't really need to because hopefully your church is consistent enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, Point five on this 10-point list is separation from the ways of the world. So let me read this again. This does not mean separation from the world, for we would have to be taken out of the world, but separation from the ways, ideologies, and practices of the world that are contrary to God and his word. In other words, there exists a concern for continual holiness and righteousness. Thoughts? I mean, you just said it again, but I just wanted to make one last point. Um, off the other okay. thing. Sorry, I was I was reading something and making sure that we had said everything that needs to be said, and I realized there was something one thing you didn't need to say didn't say that needed to be said. Still, is you can't excommunicate somebody if they're not a part of the church. That's the point of that. Ah, yeah. Excommunication. They're accountable. And they're accountable. So mm-hmm. when you're practicing Matthew 18 and saying, "Oh, well, somebody has sinned. What do we do?" Right? If they're not a member of the church, you can't do that. And um, we've we've come with that with come across that problem in our church for people who have sinned against us. Right. Right. Uh, somebody stole money from our church by yeah. saying they were going to go on a mission trip somewhere and instead went on a vacation with their girlfriend. And it was a lie. It was stealing. It was immoral. I'm who knows what they did alone in, for two weeks on vacation with his girlfriend. And it was like, it was the most immoral thing I could possibly have th- thought of. And there was no church discipline. I mean, I could think because, of some other things, but you know. Well, yeah, but there was no church discipline be- yeah. and nobody, nobody knew. But this person wasn't a member of the church, even though they'd been coming for like six or seven yeah. years. And so. Well, because there, was there, was, no there is no membership, right? Right. Yeah, that's, that's the issue. Yeah. It's, it, there's and no. So, there was no discipleship. There was no discipline. There was no excommunication. The person just left the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, so that wasn't following Matthew 18. And so that's something that is, it can be a problem for churches that don't have membership. Right. And, and, and I mean, this is 18. the thing, right? Like, and, and this doesn't have to be a, a word that's like, well, if this church isn't, isn't, you know, making sure that their member, like the people in there are, are members. It, it, this is also goes, this is a two way, two way street, right? If you're a Christian who's just, goes around to a bunch of different churches, right? Like at, at, at you're, you need to plug yourself into somewhere, right? And you need to oh, put yeah. yourself under the authority of elders, you know, right? Like, so you can have this accountability. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's your responsibility and the elders responsibility at whatever church you're going to, to be like, Hey, okay, this has been like, this is the 15th Sunday you've been here. And like, right. Are you going to get plugged in anywhere? Are we going to talk about this? Have you been baptized? Like, I don't know, even know who you are sort of a thing. You just kind of come and you leave, right? Like that's not the sort of person that's like 
can be a member of a church, right? You need to be mm -hmm. like, I need to know you before you can actually like mm -hmm. be a part of this church. Because otherwise, why are you coming? Like, you're not just going to come here and then leave. Like, you have to be a part of this. Because that's a dangerous thing to hear the gospel over and over and over again and not respond to it. <laughs> yeah. So that's a loving thing to do as a pastor for somebody who comes and doesn't become a member of the church, who doesn't make a proclamation of faith is, hey, buddy, you have a serious problem then because you're hardening your heart by grace. Mm -hmm. So you got to get this taken care of. And, and you know, that confrontation will either get them in the church or get them out of the church. And that's what you want. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what are we talking about? What's point number six? <laughs> it's point number five. Oh, okay. Um, so we are already 42 minutes into this episode and we haven't even gotten to the first point we were supposed to talk to. We're not talk 42 about minutes into the episode. We are 42 minutes into the alleged time slot in which we <laughs> from six do this. Yeah. Um, so point number five, as I have already said, but Connor didn't listen the first time. Nope, I did not listen. Separation from the ways of the world. This does not mean separation from the world, for we would have to be taken out of the world, but separation from the ways, ideologies, and practices of the world that are contrary to God and his word. In other words, there exists a concern for continual holiness and righteousness. And the first verse referenced is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, if you if you go to a church that acts like the rest of the world, they're not saved. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, there are some things that... Uh, that people do like the world, like eating and drinking. <laughs> that people. But even then, we don't do, do it. We don't actually do it like the world, because exactly. We, you know, we don't. There, we aren't. We shouldn't be gluttonous, or and we also shouldn't uh, worship our food. Um, we also shouldn't abuse our food. We should worship God when we eat our food. We should eat meals together as believers. You know, yeah. Like there's there's all sorts of qualitative differences about the way that we should do be doing things and the way that non-believers do. It's the difference between what's and how's. Yeah. There are a lot of what's that unbelievers and believers do the same. Yeah. There's not a lot of how's. Mm -hmm. Actually, I would if go on and say there are no there are how. None. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that are the same as unbelievers. Um, first Peter chapter one. Wait a second, versus... Connor. Are you saying that believers don't go to the bathroom the same way as unbelievers? <laughs> no, they do. Just not for the same reasons. <laughs> First uh, Peter chapter one, verses okay. 14 through 16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Mm -hmm. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And the word holiness means set apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thoughts, Carly? Connor and I have said a lot. <laughs> um, I mean... America doesn't do a very good job of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's just, even in just like youth camps that I've gone to that aren't necessarily like a church, right. but are supposed to be like an extension of church that, that reflects church and how church is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Like it's very, I mean, just 
the fact that it's so watered down and like dumbed down so that like teenagers can understand things it kind of I don't know it it kind of reminds me of the public school system but also at the same time it's like worse um (laughs) because it's like kids can understand more than that and Mm -hmm. um and yet we're expecting them like you're expecting them to understand better in school and get good grades in school and get at church apparently you don't expect them to to excel um in understanding the things of god right um and so we need to be unlike the world not in the sense that we expect less of christians but in the in the sense that we expect more yeah Hmm. yeah Hmm. that's good at first at first, I was kind of like, Carly, I'm, I have no clue where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was kind of going off the rails, and then I brought it back. <laughs> no, that seriously, that's... Yeah. <laughs> that's that's good. Uh, another verse, 1 Peter 2.9, which I think is funny. So apparently, if you want to know about holiness, go read 1 Peter. Um, <laughs> well, here... How about I just link this to you guys real quick so you can have the article That's open. a good oh, idea. Oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that at the beginning, yeah, but then I didn't. I forgot. Um, it's the so, second second article in this. Not this link. Okay. Scroll, scroll down. Um, so 1 Peter 2, 9. But you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, yeah. that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right. So church is not just a social club. It's not just like, all right, we get together and we're going to talk about Jesus and then we're going to go home. And it's just a social club. It's just an interest we all have. Right. No, this is about complete life transformation. Like everything you do is different now and you do it with different people. Uh, I'm very confused as to what I'm supposed to be clicking on here. Oh, I see it. I see it. I got you. Never mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, so right, like going back through this uh, Romans 12, I think, uh, right, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So right, right, right there, it's, it's talking about, in context, I believe this is talking about, uh, let's see. Oh, okay. It's talking about uh, Israel in context so right this is just after chapter 11 of romans so right like i appeal to your brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship right so as opposed to the animal sacrifices that would have been done in in israel right we ourselves are the living sacrifices to god where we're like all right we i mean god jesus is our ultimate sacrifice right for sin but as a like a continual like um act of holiness right act of being set apart we're offering ourselves as a sacrifice to god and everything we do we're living for him um i mean this is our spiritual act of worship right so instead of you know killing some doves and uh you know uh doing a ritual on top of an altar rather we are just our everything we do is part of this act of worship in which we present our bodies as a living sacrifice so this includes things like uh, refraining from sexual immorality, um, being wise with our bodies and not abusing them, and then also, you know, 
using your bodies as a productive tool to do things for God. Um, and then verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right. So as Carly was kind of getting across, um, the American church is very, very bad at this because mm -hmm. it's very easy to just be American and not be Christian. Right. It's yeah. easy to just because everybody's American. It's really easy to just be American. Um, but and it's not even a, a wait. Did you say everybody's an American? No, as in like in our current cultural context, right? Everyone <laughs> around us, America, everyone yeah. around us is American, yeah. um, or at the very least, you know, they can be from other. But everyone's everyone around us is from the world. We have a culture. <laughs> we have a current worldly cultural context, and it's easy to just be swept up in whatever conforming the world wants us to do. But and and it's even easier to just tag on America, tag on Christian to the end of American, and just be like, all right, I'm an American Christian now. Like, I'm just going to do all the same things I did before, except I'm a Christian now. Um, but no, it's you're just a Christian. You're not an American. Mm -hmm. You're not. Like, at the end of the day, that's not your identity, right? Your identity is Christian. Your your kingdom allegiance is to Christianity. It's to yeah. Jesus. It's to uh, King Jesus, the king of the world. And so you don't have an allegiance to anyone else, ultimately. You're a Christian with earthly citizenship to America. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, a very temporary earthly citizenship. Um <laughs> Yeah, and so, right, like, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be swept along by the world's ideologies. Don't use any of them as a basis for believing anything. Rather, get all of your beliefs from Scripture alone. Base everything you believe and do off of that and not – don't try to tack on anything from the world to mm -hmm. Christianity. And again, that's, that's something that the American church has a very big problem with because it's very easy to just be like, we're Republicans, but also Christians, but mostly Republicans, right? Like, and we just kind of assume that Jesus believes anything that we believe because he mm. likes us. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, uh, as another thing, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Okay. As another thing to address them in holiness, it's not just, uh, that you don't do the same things. You know, a lot of times we're like, oh, you know, we're a light to the world. And so, you know, people will know us by how we act and what we do. And we don't really need to use words. Okay. Going back to first Peter two, nine, which is another verse that this article references. Uh, but you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not only do we act differently, not only do we do things differently, but the, the way we talk is different. The language we use is different. And I don't mean like, not English, but a different language. <laughs> I don't mean like a heavily pray language. I mean like the words that we choose to use are different. Um, and the, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, and, and what what we say is different, right? The the mm -hmm. things that get us get excited, we get excited about the things that we're passionate about, right? You know, you know, maybe I I, I go to my school and, um, you know, we're talking about this TV show. You know, there's two people sitting down and talking about Game of Thrones, right? And they're like, "Hey, how about you? You watch Game of Thrones?" And no, no, I don't. Uh, that's not something that that I I'm excited about. It's not something that I you know whatever. And oh, uh. How about this thing, you know, and bring up, bring up this thing. Have you guys seen this documentary? 
that was done about abortion oh yeah yeah you know let's look at this babies are murdered here you guys think about that and you know we they still talking about what media yes but their passions their desires and what they say is different okay um and the gospel has to be proclaimed that's another just off topic throwing that out there laying down the gauntlet yeah for sure no person has ever been made a Christian because they saw how holy another Christian was. Yeah. All right. What were you going to say? Did, did, was it? Oh, I was just going to go to the next uh, verse in, in listed here. Oh, okay. Um, it, uh, so second Corinthians six fourteen. do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership ah. has righteousness with lawlessness or what yeah. fellowship has light with so darkness. Put there. What accord has Christ with Belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement mm-hmm. has the temple of God with idols for we are a temple of the living God. And then it yeah. goes into a, a quotation, but right. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Right. So we, I mean, our, 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 um, uh, fellowship habits change when we're a Christian, right? We're, we're expected to commune with believers. We're expected to be with believers. And that's not, not to say what? that you, that's not to say <laughs> that you never have, you're not friends with unbelievers, but okay. Who do you spend the most time with? Are you with the church? Like, are you, are you mm-hmm. spending your time with believers? Are you spending your time with people from your local church or in just the church in general? Um, are you filling yourself up with that fellowship? Because for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously you're, you're going to have to still, have community with non-believers because they're everywhere right um but it's different it is right like we're our fellowship with non-believers is one of witness not mm-hmm. one of fellowship ultimately right like we can't ultimately have the same amount of fellowship the same kind of fellowship that we have with non with un, uh, with believers that we do have with with non-believers um and that's not a bad thing right like if we treated non-unbelievers as if they were believers, we would be doing them a disservice. We'd be hating them ultimately because we would be mm-hmm. not where we wouldn't be pointing them to Christ. We would just be we'd be pretending like nothing sinning. was wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So, and this also this is also a good verse to remind everyone: don't marry a non-believer. Yeah, <laughs> missionary dating isn't a thing. No, it's not. It's very very bad. Well, it is a thing. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't yeah. work. Hey, oh. It very okay. Well, it very very rarely <laughs> works. It has worked, but it's not recommended. Yeah, definitely not recommended. For the same reason that abortion is a choice. It's just a choice that means murder. Uh, no, not exactly. That's I don't think you can equi- equivocate <laughs> those things. Wait, why not? Uh, are you just saying they're both sin? Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Like missionary dating. <laughs> got, it, got it. Got like, it. Like, like we say, abortion, you know, exists. It is a choice. The choice of abortion exists. The choice of missionary dating exists. They're both just evil. Right. But my argument was it technically does work every once in a while. Oh, missionary dating. Yes. So it's not the same as abortion because. Oh, it, I didn't hear that part. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I was confused by. Okay. Well, cause what I was saying is right. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's very, very unwise and it, in almost every case sinful. Um, but, uh, it, God can use it like in a, in oh, a yeah. way, like to God also uses Catholic preacher, preachers. Yeah. God used Hitler. 
and the World War II That's to fair. do good things. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Because God uses me to do good things. That's pretty crazy, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like, they meant it for evil, and I meant it for good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's... Do we have anything else to say about that? I'm looking up the, no. uh, the other passages. We should try to not spend too much time on these. Yeah, it's true. I'm just going <laughs> to read this one last passage real quick, and then we'll we'll move on. So Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Um... I think this might be a, a good good thing to point out. Um, we need to be different in how we act towards each other mm-hmm. and how we love each other, um, right? Like that's an- another primary witness that we have to the world is uh, how they shall know us by our love, right? Like that's legitimately true. Um, the world that looks verse at us. Is not, that verse is not they shall know us by our love as a – attribute of goodness that we right that we just that we we are love right it's and it's also not one another right it is also not our love for unbelievers that is not how they will know us they will know us by our love for believers yeah they will know us by our love for each other yeah yes and the same thing when when jesus says when you when uh when you did it unto the least of these brothers of mine you did it Mm -hmm. unto me that's talking about christians yeah you're so not worshiping God, or uh, you are worshiping God, but you are not directly serving Jesus when you give food to a homeless man, unless right. that homeless man is a brother of Christ. Because you're, the, the, the analogy why, being made is it's you're serving the body of Christ. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Fight me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But yeah, so that's an important important point to bring up um, as well, right? Like we we need to be our our love for each other is a part of that world uh, leaving of the world yes. because right the world doesn't treat each other very nice. Yes, we don't, right? And so our our love for each other as the body of Christ, right? Because we have been given such grace, right? Grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Thus, we need to treat each other, give each other grace as well, love each other, um, and be unified in the spirit in the bond of peace mm-hmm. right so. okay so then one more verse off of mm-hmm. that then or maybe two verses oh yeah so so galatians 6 9 and 10 let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary so then while we have opportunity let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith mm-hmm. Oh, yep. did you get my hand motions in that? With those yep. invisible? <laughs> yep. yep. Um, Most important thing. <laughs> yeah. So, number six. This will be a good one. Plurality of elders. While a church may exist without elders in its early stage of existence at its first planting, it must work towards discerning men who are spiritually qualified and gifted to serve in the office of elder slash overseer slash pastor slash preacher teacher and so separate them to fulfill his ministry. 
The biblical model is that of a plurality of elders who fit certain moral, ethical, ethical and ministerial qualifications. First thing well, I want to point out, yeah, yeah, it says ahead. men. Because yes, it women does. are not for those positions of leadership. Yes. Thank you for being the one who said that. <laughs> that makes everything a little better. Yep. I always feel awkward. And I shouldn't, but I always feel awkward saying it. Yeah. It's because it, it's such a reaction. Good. The, the reason we do is because we know we're going to get flack from some people. Yeah. The problem is, this is not what I believe. This is not what mm -hmm. Caleb believes. This is what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And people will fight us on that. And that's okay. Because they will answer to God one day. And that's that's the thing. Yeah. Is I, I, don't, I don't have to give a defense for God. This is the truth. This is how I will say it. This is, this is what the Bible says. If you want to fight on that. That's that's between you and God, not between you and me. And let's go through those qualifications, shall we? The saying is trustworthy. This is 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he, desire, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Okay, mm -hmm. first one, above reproach. What does that mean? Uh, here's reproach. <laughs> oh my gosh, Connor. He's, he's above it. Um, Do you want us to give an actual answer to that? Yes, please. Okay, well, let's define the word reproach real quick. Yeah. An expression of rebuke or disapproval. Perfect. <laughs> so they don't get easily so, offended, basically. Is that what? I was maybe, thinking that they're... Maybe I'm misinterpreting they, that. they have no need of... I, I shouldn't say no need. That, yeah. They, <laughs> they, they don't... Uh, what is the word? They're they oh they're oh that okay they're not above reproach they're not too good for discipline. Is that what we're talking about? Um, Let's go back to this. Where where are we at? What are we talking about? I'll, I'll give me give me a second. So First Timothy three. Um, let me let me find this real quick. Okay, so. The expression does not mean without sin, which would disqualify everyone except Jesus, but above scandalous reproach. Paul's overriding concern is what overseers elders have a is that overseers slash elders have a good standing among both Christians and non-Christians. Right? So someone who has a good reputation, right? They haven't been involved in a scandal, okay. they haven't done okay. right. It's just like people know them and people like them, right? Like that they are like well respected as a person who is like godly and whatever, right? Like that sort of thing. Um, okay, and that's pretty straightforward. Obviously, the, uh, someone yeah. who is a pastor elder should should be that. And so, uh, I guess one thing before we go any further in this, um, so plurality of elders <laughs> is very specifically the the standard here because, um, we then we have that accountability between pastor, the right. elders of the church, um, are you know the church is accountable to the elders and the elders are accountable to each other and the church, um, so that. Even if one elder makes a mistake or does something against that, you know, that's sinful or whatever, the other elders can come alongside them and be like, nope, you know, repent of that sin. And instead of there being one person at the head of everything who's kind of in charge, and if they do anything wrong, there's no one who can like stop them, right? It's check and checks and balances. Balances. Right. It's it's the difference between a dictatorship and a democracy, uh, not a democracy, a republic. A uh, yeah, like a constitutional republic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the the assumption is that people aren't good 
therefore a right. plurality mm-hmm. of elders. Yes. Yeah. If people are good, then we can have one person as a pastor and that's all we need. But people aren't good. So Yeah, but luckily we also have Jesus as our king and the Holy Spirit living <laughs> right. inside of us, which makes it possible for any of this to work in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But yeah, so it must be above reproach and be the husband of one wife. Interesting. So not only just uh, specifically designating that the fact that they are male. Yes. But also that they are married. And Mm -hmm. the reasoning for that, and some people will say that they don't have to be married. This is just that they are only married to one wife that they're, this is, this is just saying against polygamy. Um, But I've heard pastor Gabe Hughes say that to, to be alone in ministry like that and not have a, a woman who is, you know, one flesh with you and you are keeping each other accountable and you have that, that team um, together in your own personal life, that support that it's going to be a lot harder and it's much better if you are married. Um, Also the fact that then you have a witness who literally lives with you that can say, Oh yeah, this person should be a pastor. Yeah. Yeah. I trust this person. I live with him. And so that's, that's common sense. And that's also uh, common sense. <laughs> yeah. And so there are some people, right, who the people who don't want or who, who believe that women can also be pastor elders, um, they'll they'll often take that verse to mean that one way, right? Where, where it's like, it's it doesn't mean that they have to be a husband with one wife. Right. It just means that you should only be married to one person. So it can't right. be just, it, that can't be a disqualification right. of of uh of women because it would you would have to be married then if that was the mm-hmm. case and then to that we say yes mm-hmm. <laughs> yes you do have to be married yes yeah, that's what it says I, yeah the husband I, or one wife i forget i think it was jj who asked me a few years ago who's one of the listeners to, listeners to the podcast is she was asking me that like if uh or maybe maybe i was just talking to her about this i don't remember if she asked me or not but uh we were talking about like, what if our pastor, like our head pastor just like died or something like that. And I was offered the position. I think she asked me that. And I was like, I wouldn't take it. Oh no. I'm not I wouldn't let you take it, dude. No, I, I was like, <laughs> I mean, for many like, reasons, but yeah, I mean, as much as I would want to, as much as I would be like, ah, oh, yes. Like I want to be a pastor. Like, Hey, this is my opportunity kind of a thing. I'd be like, Oh my goodness. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First of all, I don't feel like I'm, uh, you know, biblically taught well enough at this point in my life to, right. to do that but i'm not married i'm not going on this alone yeah i mean and it also goes back to the idea and this is a this is a topic that i'm sure we'll get to eventually but we haven't really touched on um the idea that marriage is normative for a christian and not mm-hmm. some sort of like it's there's yeah. not an equal equal amount of single people and married people mm-hmm. in the world that's not how that works like most people should be married. That's just kind of yeah. the normative pattern for yep. human life. Yeah. Um, unless they have the gift of singleness. Unless they have like the specific gift of singleness, like Paul mentioned, right? You have the gift of singleness. You have been given the gift that you don't desire to be married. If you desire to be married, <laughs> guess what? Yeah. You should be you married. Should married. <laughs> yeah. You should get married. Right. Um, right. And, and, and I mean, yeah, it can be very difficult to find, I mean, to, to even find someone who would want to marry you. But then, we need people. We need people on both sides of both genders. You know what I'm saying is that's that's a legitimate problem, right? Where people are like yeah, single and they're like, I want to be married, but like I, no one's in my life that I, I can I can marry, sort of a thing, right? I just that's the way you said that. It's like, but what it is, right? Now is, it might be really hard for you to get married. Somebody who no, no, no. wants. What I, but what I'm saying is, 
Um, this is an exhortation for uh, young people of both genders. Get married. Yeah. Get married. <laughs> just go get married. You know, like, just don't be unwise in, in being married. Right. But like, get married. Like, it's a good thing. And just because you're too young, you're there's you're not too young. you're not too young to get married I'm, I'm, unless, unless it's, it's illegal, illegal. <laughs> unless it's illegal you're not too young right because marriage grows you marriage yeah. i mean i don't know i don't know any more than intellectually that this is true mm-hmm. um but i've read many books on the subject and <laughs> i know many married people who have told me this yeah i, um, I was just watching uh, uh wretched wretched tv uh last night with mickey and hannah well yesterday with mickey and hannah yeah. and uh they were doing one on marriage and uh he has this camera guy who like does cameos for him. He like comes on and like does little acting bits and stuff like that. Every <laughs> once in a while, Carly, do you know of this? Um, no. Have you seen this? No. Okay. So I, just by the way you were laughing, I thought you did. I've, anyway. I've seen some of the videos, but I haven't seen mm. those parts. Yeah. So, so he has this one guy who's, who's like a camera person who, who comes out sometimes and, and he like does little skits with and stuff like that. And, uh, um, for, for, for one of them, he like, he like called him over there talking about marriage and, and he was like, tell me what you told me the other day. And he was like, dude, I thought I was really spiritual. And then I got married. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know what happened. And it, was, it was a joke to pretty much say, like, I thought I was all that. I thought mm-hmm. I like had my life right before God. And then I was living with another person. And then I realized I did not have it all together. Because this one person got to see every part of my life. And they were like, hey, what are you doing over there? That's wrong. That's wrong. And you, you're getting on my nerves in this area. You're you're overbearing in this area. You're you're too impatient. You're too blah blah blah. And 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 he was like, dude, like I thought I was a good person. You know, I thought I was a good Christian. And then I got married. And then somebody got to see every part of my life. And then I realized that I had nothing in order. And right. uh, yeah, to I mean that just right there to to make sure that uh, for a pastor you get married. Right. And, and one of the main reasons, right. Unless you have the gift of singleness, which, and, and so yeah. we could, we could go into the, like, w- what if you have the gift of singleness, but you also have been called to be a pastor. Um, uh, well, I don't think the Bible <laughs> would, per- well, I, don't, I don't think God would give you that calling if the Bible contradicts that. And here's, and here's the thing is your emotional calling does not interpret scripture. If you say, mm-hmm. well, I've been called to singleness and I've been called to be a pastor. Then we look at the Bible and say, uh, test every spirit. No, you haven't. Because the Bible is our authority, not your calling. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the passage in particular to say whether or not those things can intersect at any point, because I I just don't know. It seems to be the clear command is both one, be married yeah. if you don't have the gift of singleness and right. two, be the husband of one wife if you are going right. to be an elder. Um, and here's but, the thing. For the, uh, very... One thing, the last thing I wanted to say about that point, and, and one of the main reasons, right, is that if, say, you I mean, you don't have the gift of, gift of single, singleness, and you are um, thinking of being a pastor, right? And so you're like, so you want to have sex, right? You want to be married. Um, it's not a good idea to be a pastor in that situation if you are, as Paul puts it, burning with burning with desire, right mm-hmm. and and just get married right and then there you go it there, there could be a lot of bad things that could happen with you and your church members who you are emotionally intimate with because they come to you with their problems yes. you're their exactly. shepherd and first of all you shouldn't be having one-on-one discipleship with any one woman <laughs> ever yeah. now 
with that being said, why add that extra layer of danger of not being married? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, so there's, uh, oh, now I forgot what I was going to say. Well, right. So what my point was, right, like, um, this is about Paul's particular um, uh, exhortations in this this manner, right? Like about marriage and singleness. And so one last thing to, to bring that all to a close is even though it does say, um, Paul just says, uh, does say, um, I, I wish everyone would be single like me, right? He said that in a very particular cultural context in which mm-hmm. Christians were being killed left and right. So that yeah. is the c- yes. particular cultural context in which that statement <laughs> yeah. was being made. For yes. every other saying, culture and every other context, it's normative yes. to get married. Yes, he was saying me, yet yet I, not God, is saying this to a specific people in a specific, in a specific time. time, and especially for us as as preterists, right? To know yes, that that exactly. insane tribulation time <laughs> yep. was specifically for mm-hmm. them at that time and if you read anything about everything what nero, fits yeah. together <laughs> if you if you read anything about what nero did to the christians at that point in yeah. time that is the worst tribulation that has ever happened on the face of the earth yep mm-hmm. um no so then the other thing uh that i was going to say is let's say there is some some pastor that's listening to this and i highly doubt it but there is some pastor that's listening to this who's not married okay and he's like oh no i'm in sin what do i do man just get married it's okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and um, and if somebody was like well but there's no you know good christian woman that uh you know i can you know marry in my congregation or whatever and you know just should i step down what should i do and to that honestly i'm not too sure i don't know um, yeah <laughs> we I, don't know about this yeah um, um, so one ask thing that pastor john yeah one thing um <laughs> uh carly's mom brought up in chat um was uh what about husband of one wife in terms of divorce Ooh, well, I, oh right? i mean yes I, yeah. Uh, yeah i mean oh wow yes thank you <laughs> that's that's good um, yeah that's a great question so in in it, when when jesus was teaching on divorce he said that if somebody gets divorced for a reason that is not biblically mandated so not for unfaithfulness so unfaithfulness they, neglect yeah. lack of yeah. love food or shelter those are yep. the those are the things that you can get yep. divorced for and so if somebody has gotten a divorce that wasn't a part of one of those three things they and they got remarried they are committing adultery yep that is what that is they are still married to the first person they, yes they are still married to the first person in god's eyes they they have broken the promise yes and that's a bad thing they haven't um undone the the contract which which isn't what marriage is anyway it's not a contract it's a covenant it's a promise not a hey i've got my lawyer <laughs> get me out of this yeah um so yeah no I, actually that's a great point yeah if if somebody has been um in divorce then then okay so here's the thing so some people would be like well wow you're you're excluding certain christians right off the bat from being in the position of pastor. Like, how could you do that? That's so like, like uh, closed minded. That's so like in- exclusive, right? For pastors and stuff like that. Okay. You go to any one business and you tell me that every single person in that room is qualified to be the head of the whole thing. <laughs> okay. That's, that's what this is. This isn't uh, let's be exclusive um, to Christians and only have the best of the best be the pastors. This is, Hey, let's not screw up all of these Christians by putting some idiot in position. Yeah. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and these are guidelines to show us the, that have the top notch standard for pastors. So that if somebody does, um, um, has been divorced or does get divorced, they are no longer qualified to be the pastor. And that's the kind of standard that we should have. Now, I, here's the thing I would say, especially, you know, since we're talking about, well, what if there isn't a, 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 you know, a Christian woman that I can marry at this point in time, I would say you do step down and you as a congregation pray about it, especially if there's, if there's nobody else to take the spot, right. Of head pastor is the elders take over for them and you be biblically centered and you try to honor God in everything and you let God work out the details. And if God wants to raise somebody else up, he will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, like, but so we, we've spent a lot of time on this, on this one, one bit yes. and we're still, it's very late. So let's keep <laughs> yeah. going through this, this list well, of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. So last thing I want to say just real fast on okay. that. Uh, so Proverbs eleven fourteen, I believe is, uh, you know, there's uh, wisdom and a abundance of counselors. Ah, uh, yes, right? yes. Mm-hmm. You should have multiple teachers. That's what yes. the elder position is for. Um, a healthy church should have all of the elders in positions where they can teach, right? And, and hopefully, if you can, to have them teach the services even and have them swap out. Now, you still should have a head pastor, like a head teaching pastor in that sense. That's, I think, a good thing. Hey, this person is, is what we have him here for, right? He's the head pastor, right? He is the head teaching pastor. Like we submit to him in that, but also the head teaching pastor shouldn't submit to his elders as well. Um, He is not above them. And that's why it's an elder, a plurality of elders, not a one person showdown. That's what the church is. And so if you have multiple teachers and also if you have a youth pastor, you have a children's pastor, you have a head pastor. And if those positions can switch, especially even the head pastor speaking to the youth and the head pastor speaking to the children as well in, in their separate times and stuff like that, that's important too, so that the church sees that they're one and yep. not separate. And yep. we talked about that last time too. Yep. So continuing in this list, um, right, must be above repro- a reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, right? So... Um, oh, I thought we were moving on to the next one. Okay, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Sober-minded, yep. Yeah, sober-minded. That's pretty straightforward. Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, right? So there shouldn't be an elder who's also not a, the pastor, right? Like the, yep. all of them are teaching and serving and pastoring together, right? And doing the same things. Um, able not, to teach. Yeah. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. Again, a very man-centric concept if we're talking about, yeah. right? Like um, Women usually don't manage the household, so that wouldn't apply to a woman. In the same way that it's being talked about here, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, in one sense, yes, of course, uh, women do that, but... Um, uh, right for someone does not know how to your household the head of the household they're yeah right. they're managing exactly he must manage his not, own household well yeah. with all dignity keeping right. his children submissive for if someone right. does not know how to manage his own household how will he care for god's church yes you again don't know this how is to talking about the the elder yes. position of the household and of the mm-hmm. church yeah if, if you don't know how to handle your own kids you do not get to take care of god's kids yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah seriously i mean yeah. can you imagine and, and uh, Paul Washer, I, heard, I was listening to Paul Washer talk about this today. 
Um, and he was saying that if you try, if you're like interested in dating, you know, somebody and Paul was like, um, uh, if, if you tried to date my daughter, right. If you tried to date my daughter, if you tried to do anything to my daughter, okay. It would be better if a mother grizzly got to you than me. And he was like, I would take on a whole army if I had to, to protect my daughter. Like that's how much I care as an, un, as a, as a, uh, uh, a human being, right. An ungodly human being that's as a sinner. Like that's, that's me. That's how much I care about, right. Um, you know, my daughter, how much more does God care about his children mm-hmm. than, than I do. And so I was like, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you talk about, I mean, this is not a position to take lightly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might, may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Right. So just, there's a lot of general, like be godly, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's some, some very specific requirements given uh, here. Um, and then the other the other passage that talks about this and has a lot of the same thing to say is uh, Titus 1. And it says, um, uh, let's see. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might, be, might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Mm-hmm. Notice elders, plural. If anyone is above, above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and, or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above approach. Reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Another important thing the pastor elders need to do is call out false teaching in their community, or in the just general like false teaching that's out there, right? And be uh, able to re- be ready to rebuke those who contradict the word of God. Um, in the public sphere, if necessary, right? Like those are things that pastor elders need to be able to do. Um, naming names is not the evangelical sin of the world. Naming names is a good thing. Yeah. You have to be able to point out false teaching. I mean, that's how you take care of your flock. That's literally what Paul just did here, (laughs) especially those of the circumcision party. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, yep. a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, <laughs> evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony yep. is true. What a Cretan. <laughs> Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith for not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of the people who turn away from the truth. To, yeah, to the Paul pure, doesn't pull yeah. any punches. He doesn't. He <laughs> no. really doesn't. Comes to and, neither should pastors. and neither yeah. should pastors. Yeah. Yep. Um, so another thing just to point out later in first Timothy three talking about deacons. Okay. Yeah. And that uh, there are deacons that are women and that, that Paul even says of, and I think it's first Corinthians. It might be Ephesians, something like that, where so, the same word. It's not the same. So it's the same. It's, it's not the same. Uh, it, so the deacon position talked about here is not the same as the deacon talked about in 
that passage. It's the same general word being used, um, but it just the, the word just means servant. It's literally okay. what it means. It's just the word for servant. So there's a oh. way that it could be capital servant and uncapital <laughs> servant, right? And so oh, it's translated okay. that know. way because uh, it's translated that because it's just the word for for servant. Um, okay. But it says here in the same way, right? The, the qualifications. Um, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Uh, okay. But for those who so, serve as well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What translation are you reading from? ESV. Okay, NASB says women must likewise be blah, blah, blah. So now I want to look at the... Uh, uh, which, where? Which verse? Uh, 10. So instead of saying their wives must likewise be, it says women mean, must likewise be. Oh, yeah, sorry. So I, th- I find that very interesting. So there must be a huge controversy about this. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wives must be. But then it says, so what does it say in verse 12 for you? Uh, it says, deacons must be husbands of only one wife. Yeah. And good managers of their children and their own households. Right. It's just, it's the same the word, qualifications. Yeah. The word only is in italicies, which means that they added that part in. To make it make more grammatical sense is what those are supposed to be for. So the word only. So it should read, read it again. Deacons must be, what it should be is deacons must be husbands of one wife. And that's the same thing that it says about uh, overseers and elders up above. And instead, for this part, they write in only. And and so when when uh, words are italicized, just fun fact: when words are italicized in the Bible, it's it's added to make grammatical sense. But it's not part um, of the literal translation. But it's not part of the literal translation. And so they added that part in to make it okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of sad now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the sort of thing, and like I'm reading a book on this right now. Um, but this is the sort of thing that that is talked about a lot, and it's really discussed in in detail. And there's all sorts of places that people try to go to to point out, um, like where these things might be um, might be not saying what they seem to be clearly saying. Um, you know, because earlier in First Timothy, we have the clear clear admonition let a woman learn quietly quietly with all submissiveness i do not per- permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man rather as she is to remain quiet and right. then he qualifies it by saying for adam was formed first then eve and adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor yet she will be tra- saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control so um the the last uh, just just to kind of wrap this all up because we could get into a huge conversation about women ordainment and all this stuff and we all three believe very strongly that women should not be ordained and it is a sin for them Mm -hmm. to be ordained or for people to promote them to be ordained um but the um uh the, the thing that I usually point to, there's all sorts of grammatical things and original language things and exegetical things that could be pointed to 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 prove this. But um, the thing that I always come back to in just a general sense when thinking about this topic is the church as a whole for all of its history has believed 
the majority, right, for all of its history, has believed that pastor elders are men only. It has never been a majority belief in any way, shape, or form. It been a vast minority belief that women should be ordained. And I don't know about you, but it says something pretty strong to me that if you believe that women need to be ordained, that God would allow the church to have that much of a error where they believe for centuries, for millennia, that women can't be ordained and cause such a horrible abuse then of scripture where we apparently you know, still believe that women can't be ordained, if this is true, right? Um, that does not sound like God to me. Like he, yeah. he's faithful to sanctify his people. He would not allow that to happen. That doesn't sound like the God that we serve. Um, like if, if that was true, I would be ashamed, right? To like that, that just, it just doesn't, doesn't seem possible given what I, every, every other thing I know about God, um, that he would allow that sort of error, huge error to happen. Yeah. So. Even in just like common sense with like how different men are to women. Like last year I was talking to my former youth pastor and he was like, well, I don't see why like biblically women should be prevented from being ordained. But he admitted that he had rarely seen any instances where women were like successful and like well-taught and well-preaching pastors. And I'm like, well, then like if the Bible is saying that women shouldn't be pastors, doesn't that just prove that more that like the fact that women not often exemplify good pastors like should further prove that the bible is accurate in what yeah. it commands yeah there there's there's still to the to date to date never been um a person who claims to be a pastor that is a woman who i don't look at what they teach and see like a host of other things wrong with their mm -hmm. theology yeah right? joyce meyer beth yeah. moore yeah <laughs> um so another another uh note on that is uh Verse 15 of what you just read. Um, yet you'll be saved through childbearing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, just a, a note on that is uh, I, I was looking at a Desiring God article. The, the, the phrase there that is used saved through is the same phrase that is used. Uh, that is, let me, let me just read exactly what is being said, but the apostle uses the word will be saved purposely for its higher meaning, eternal salvation. And the construction of the sentence is precisely as in 1 Corinthians 3.15, he will be saved yet though as through fire. Just as that man should be saved through as passing through fire, which is his trial, his hindrance in his way, in spite of which he escapes, so shall she be saved though as passing through her childbearing, which is her trial, her curse, not means of salvation, that but her hindrance in the way of it. So talking about the curse of the pain of childbearing. Right, that Eve was given. That yeah. came from yes. the fall, yeah. Yes, and so, yeah, just a side note on that. This was something that when we uh, were talking with, uh, um, when Maddie and I were talking with the eighth graders about that a couple of years ago, um, we got to this verse. I think, we were, I think we were going through First Peter, and we got to this verse, and we were like, what? <laughs> like, what does this mean? And, and so we, like, looking at all of these places. 
Uh, well, we we're just talking about wives be submissive to your uh, um, husbands, and uh, oh, so you went to and, this passage to yeah. And somebody yeah. had asked, then are right. are women allowed to be pastors? And so then we went to this mm. passage, and we were like, like what? Where? <laughs> where is this going? We looked at a couple of different places, and nobody said anything. And then and then this is the answer that we finally got. We were like, oh, okay, because that's a very like misleading wording. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, like nowhere in the Bible is anywhere. Is there anything about childbearing being salvific <laughs> anywhere? <laughs> like, where yeah, it's like, if, that, if, that's, if that's actually what he's saying there, then it's like, right. All right. Well, everything I knew about the Bible is wrong. I don't know what's going yeah. on here. Yeah. It's like, it's like, okay, you used a scripture to interpret scripture. Right, like, what does this mean? If everything else in the Bible points to what I think this sentence to mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> anyway, have we spent enough time on this? Yes, very much. Where so. we are right mm-hmm. now? <laughs> Number seven, right? Uh, yeah. Number seven: the centrality of preaching. The word of God is central in the life of the church. And therefore, pastors must make the preaching of the scriptures of central focus and importance in, in its worship. Why? It is God's word. And as God's word, it is truth, powerful, and effective. It creates, saves, instructs, and edifies. The Holy Spirit works through the word. For at least these reasons, the preaching of the word should be central. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, the passage that you can go to is... Um, and now I've already found it because I went away from it. They put a lot of verses in there for this one. They did. Um, Second Tim- Timothy 3.15. <clears throat> it's obviously the good place to go originally to start this off. <clears throat> um, or 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? And so... Right, preaching from the word, primarily exegetically, because that's what we get from every person who's ever preached in the Bible, um, is that's how it's done, right? You take a passage of scripture and you take out from it what its meaning is, right? So like, okay, what does this mean? You see that it exampled by every single apostle who's recorded as preaching. You hear, you see it exampled by Jesus. Um, it's it's all there. Like that's the way we should preach, right? And so yeah. that's that's the thing i always come back to when i look at how these people preach um it's just very obvious to me like one the importance of going back to scripture so a lot of people will be like why is the bible so important isn't like we don't we just follow the teachings of jesus and it's just like okay if you follow the teachings of jesus then you will do what he told you to do which is read the bible <laughs> yeah um, because well, he, not only not only yeah. that but where do you get jesus teachings from what are what are yeah. <laughs> like how do you it's like yeah, I you guys yeah. gotta think. You gotta you gotta think this one through. Yeah. Um it's right. Like if so, you're reading about Jesus' teachings, you're reading right. the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, all well that's the thing, right? Like I think great. mainly what the arguments are is just like, oh, you just need the gospels. It's like yeah, just just read the gospels yeah. and you're probably good. You, yeah. uh, I promise you, if you just read the gospels and don't read anything else in scripture, you will not understand the gospels. You're gonna be <laughs> yeah. like you won't get like, it, dude. What does that mean? Yeah. I, st- I still go through the gospel. And at least, like, yeah, it at least will not mean as much to you if you right. 
just read the gospels. You'll most likely get a um a very truncated version or just a traditional version whatever your tradition yeah. is that you're bringing with you you'll just yeah. impart it upon the verses and you'll be like oh okay prodigal son all right that means this right and then you're just like <laughs> okay i don't have any context for that i don't know what the jews are doing i don't know like <laughs> what does this mean you'd be like oh i guess jesus is nice cool <laughs> yeah okay so uh another verse then from that uh, psalm 19 7 through 11 this is the the first reference on there the law of the lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Somebody needs to make a song of that because those are they rhyme us pretty well. Okay. Um. Yeah. I'll do that. Uh, okay. Don't cool. Worry. No. So then, uh, I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Of it, you know, how do you, how do you how do you take care of God's people? Well, you, you know, you tell them what God said, right? I mean, here's 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 the thing. Okay, if 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 uh. Preaching is not the center of, of uh, corporate worship, okay? Then corporate worship becomes arbitrary. Mm. And and whose teachings is it then? What standard are you living up to? Either, either you're living by the, the biblical standard, but nobody knows it, or you're living by your own standard, and it's, it's sin, right? So th- those are your two choices. So it has to be, the centrality of it has to be biblical teaching. How do we know how to love people? How do we know what love is? The Bible. How do you know how to preach the gospel? The Bible. How do you know how to treat unbelievers? The Bible. How do you know how to treat believers? The Bible. How do you know how to worship? The Bible. Do you know that in the Old Testament that God set his people on fire because they didn't worship him rightly? This is something that's very important. (laughs) And swallowed them up into the ground. (laughs) Yes. Just like that. Like, like you've you've got to know how to worship God. Mm-hmm. And there's a book about it, and it was written <laughs> by God Himself. So you should read it, and that should be what everything is centered around. It's the what is the one thing that's eternal? Yeah, yeah. Like it's not like as a church we should be taking shortcuts mm-hmm. around the actual text and the work of reading the text to just hear someone talk about oh this is what this means without. Like, I mean, yes, like our pastor should be telling us this is the passage and this is what it means according to the rest of the Bible, but we shouldn't just be taking that without reading it ourselves. And we also, we shouldn't be listening to purely someone talking about, like, without using scripture to explain scripture, saying this is what this means. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't have that, then... It's just someone's opinion about this sentence in this book that right. we probably haven't read very much if we don't understand how this thing works. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and another problem with, with having a plurality of, or not having a product. Pro- <laughs> wow. Another <laughs> problem right. connecting this to point number seven, another problem with not having a plurality of elders is what happens when the, what, that person dies. Okay. 
if you're basing all of this church yeah. over one person, and mm-hmm. especially if you're not following number seven, then that's centrality of preaching from the word of God, then it's all about one person and what they think and what they believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happens when they die? Because they're not going to live forever. Mm-hmm. Okay. What happens when they make a mistake? What happens when they tell people something that isn't true? They go out and try it and it backfires and they're like, hey, dude, what the heck? Okay. Like man is fallible. Mm-hmm. Therefore, plurality of elders. Therefore, you center everything on the word of God or else you are a fool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then that goes back to our um, Reformed Baptist uh, conviction of sola scriptura, which means yes. uh, scripture alone, right? So mm-hmm. our ultimate, and we talked about this in our epistemology episode, right? Our ultimate standard is scripture. And so you can't get in any, any other, you can't put any other standard above that. Um, I was looking, there was a, um, a quote someone shared on Facebook today, um, by C.S. Lewis, um, which I wasn't a huge fan of, and I'm gonna <laughs> read it real quick, just cause it's a good thing to talk about when we're referring to this. Um, the quote says, it is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. That is true. The Bible, read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers, will bring us to him. We must not use the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia use, uh, out of which text can be used can be taken for use as weapons right so in and i get where c.s lewis was coming from with this statement right so he's just like don't just use the bible as like um an argumentative memes to prove yourself right exactly yeah but the the problem with saying the bible read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers will bring us to him being jesus is that you are now placing whatever this right spirit is and whatever the guidance of good teachers means above scripture Right yeah. as the standard, so you won't under. She's basically saying because you without won't under- that, you can't access scripture. Exactly, you can't access scripture unless you have the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers. Now, the right spirit, it's I'm, not capitalized. Assuming- okay, so, so I am assuming he just means in the right attitude. Right. So the, the right is, spirit you know, the is you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit. Yes, exactly. Right? God living inside of you can reveal that truth to you. So, so we're just mm-hmm. correcting what he's saying. Um, <laughs> clarified maybe yeah. this is what he meant but he just poor poorly used words <laughs> but yeah it, it's because this is the thing right so i asked the person who who posted it right like i'm curious what he means by in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers how do we know how, how do we know what's the right spirit and who are good teachers and then <laughs> yeah. the person said those who bring us to christ and i was like but how do we know that they brought us to christ aren't teachers fallible human beings what if we think they have brought us to christ but instead have brought us to unbiblical traditions like how do we know what's the standard and then right. the person said, a good reason to be in the word. And I was like, <laughs> exactly. Right. I don't think you understand what you were saying there. But circular reasoning. It was very yeah. circular reasoning. But right. So it's the idea that um, we have to have an ultimate standard and the ultimate standard has to be scripture. And we all know that mm-hmm. as Christians, like we, we get it, but sometimes we aren't consistent with that. Right. We're mm-hmm. like, if, as long, <clears throat> if you only, <clears throat> as long as you read the, bible in the right spirit which is basically the right attitude whatever i say the right attitude is we're under the guidance of the good teachers the people who be- agree with me about jesus right mm-hmm. yeah we can't know who those people are right unless we get that standard from scripture which is what the bereans did right the paul, uh, paul came to him called, uh, came to them the bereans mm. and was like yeah. hey this is what the scripture means 
and they're like, all right, let's test it for ourselves. Let's look and see what the scripture says. Right. And so they look back at the Old Testament and said, yes, what you just said is correct. You have properly exegeted the scripture. And that is something that all Christians are expected to do. Right. That's why this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's something that the um, uh, the centrality of preaching this concept. Right. Is would hopefully um, promote in a church is this idea of this Berean mindfulness about scripture, this faithfulness to scripture, where you always want to go back to scripture and, and say like, all right, did he, did he preach it correctly? Right. And that's not supposed to be a spirit of criticism necessarily, though it can be, but rather a, um, uh, um, something that, you know, like, like a pastor who is being a good pastor would be like, don't take my word for it. Right. As they say in reading rainbow. Right. But like <laughs> the Bible has the ultimate say here. So I'm just trying to exegete scripture, but if I'm wrong, let God be true and every man found a liar. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and that's the sort of attitude that this concept should be bringing to the church. And that's something that, you know, should make the church be more, um, more in love with scripture and they want to go back to scripture because the the pastor puts such a high emphasis on scripture because it's our ultimate standard for Christian belief and doctrine. So. Um, just, just to point back to first uh, Peter two and say, we are a chosen generation or I'm sorry, a chosen. Wow. That's a weird translation. <laughs> um, you are, you are a chosen people, right? A Royal priesthood, a holy nation. Okay. You meaning Christians are a holy priesthood. Okay. The, uh, the idea that uh, the priesthood of all believers. Okay. The moment you put one believer as higher in authority over other believers, there's a problem. A pastor is not supposed to be an authority over God's word or over other believers unless we're talking about discipleship, okay, accountability that we're supposed to submit to our elders. But the moment that one Christian becomes more important than another Christian or one Christian's opinion becomes more important than another Christian's opinion or one Christian's biblical reading becomes more important than another Christian's biblical reading, then we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. That uh, saying that Jesus is our only mediator between man and God. We don't have to go through another. You don't have to go through your pastor in order to get good teaching. You don't have to go through your pastor in order to be saved, um, or to have forgiveness of sins, or any one person to do anything is the Bible is sufficient to do all of those things. And that's what the pastor is supposed to point them to is the Bible to then use the Bible to do the things that that those people need. You're not supposed to be above them and then, you know, stoop down to help these Christians out. You're supposed to help them with the Bible Instead of it being a, oh, here, let me, let me explain it to you. It's a, hey, you should read this. It's very important. Mm -hmm. This is what it says. Mm -hmm. Now, now a a pastor should know, uh, well, I shouldn't say should know. Uh, A pastor can know the Hebrew and Greek and so can more Mm -hmm. literally understand the Bible. And that's a great tool and benefit, but I wouldn't say that's necessary. 
for a pastor and by any means, that's not a qualification that we see. Um, and in that sense, I would say, well, I would trust the pastor's opinion over the Christian's opinion because the pastor knows more about the topic, but that doesn't make that person, that pastor, a better Christian does not make them um, a, a higher authority in the sense if we're talking about biblical understanding. Yeah. Yeah, right. Going back to that quote, right? It's, it's you know, the good good teachers, right? Like, you don't have to have a mediator between you and, and scripture. You don't have to have yes. someone who is a gatekeeper between you and scripture. That's what the Reformation was about. It was getting yeah. back to that, that idea that scripture is God-breathed and useful for all of these things for every man of God, every person mm-hmm. of God, right, to be equipped for good works and, and Christian belief and practice, all of those things, right? Um. And so obviously that doesn't mean that church history isn't important and that like reading good books about from good teachers isn't important and especially getting the guidance of your pastors when trying to understand what what a text means. But it does mean that they don't have the ultimate say. It means scripture Mm -hmm. has the ultimate say. And of course we're going to get it wrong, but we will also get it right if we are truly in Christ because that's that's the whole point of being a Christian. Like God's not going to – God's going to lead us in sanctification. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us in sanctification to understand what scripture is about. He's opened our spiritual eyes to be able to understand this stuff. That's the whole point of being a Christian. So we're for those who we are can. perishing in his foolishness, but to us exactly. who are being saved is the power of God. And will, mm-hmm. does that mean we'll always understand it all? And even in this life, like, will we get to a point that we'll understand everything? Of course not. Oh, I have. Yes. Oh. <laughs> but it means that, like, especially for the important stuff. God's not going to let us scrope around blindly. Like he's, he's faithful to lead us to him. He doesn't, he wants us to know who he is. Yeah. So then just added to that first Timothy two, five, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And here's, here's a fun thing. Who appoints these teachers and elders and pastors? Right. <laughs> yeah. Who decides who's the good teacher? Yeah. The Christians. And so for the same reason that the Christians submit to the elders, the elders submit to the Christians. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that I'm using the word Christian because you know, the pastors hopefully are Christian. <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Should we end there? I honestly and, think we should and, and just do a part three. Tackle, because... tackle the last three. <laughs> Yeah, because, uh, you know, this is how we yeah. do things here at the Christian Artist. So the very last one, um, I think we should just uh, send them all to the G3 videos. I mean, we could because talk those about have it, been yeah. released. No, I don't think we should. I think we should just point them to those and say, hey, go listen to these if you want to know about this. We, maybe we could give like we a two sentence summary. summary. Yeah, we'll give us quick summary, <laughs> but not spend too much time on it and just point them to the people who say it better. I guess. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I still want to talk about it. We learned all about it, Connor. All right. All right. I, mean, I guess we could try our hands. I see what you're saying. Plus, you could just include, like, what the experience of going to G3 was like. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, we might want to just save that last one for when we do an, a separate ep- We We Actually, what we should do is we should do another episode um, next time on devotion to prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Question. Do we have enough to say about those two things? Uh, I have a lot to say about prayer, but maybe not a whole yeah. episode's worth. Um, 
And I have stuff to say about fasting too, but not a whole episode's worth. I alone. feel like we maybe, maybe what we just do is this. Maybe we, we go a little bit longer. We finish out those, those two. And then we do a, the next episode be missiology because that's a separate thing, <laughs> right? Nice. Yeah. Which is closely related to ecclesiology because it's about planting churches, but it's not quite this, you know, it, it's similar, but also in the, it's a good way to transition into the next thing, which is missiology. And then we can talk about our G3 uh, experience and have a little bit more time in that episode to, to talk about that. Sound good? So devotion to prayer. In essence, prayer is communication with God in the name of Jesus Christ and in reliance on the spirit. Fundamentally, prayer expresses our dependence upon God for we lay our requests before him, trusting that he will answer our prayers according to his will. Biblical prayer consists of adoration towards God, confession of sin, thanksgiving for God's grace and mercy, and supplication or request both for us and for others. God also works through our prayers to accomplish his purposes. It is important it is important that we pray both individually and corporately, and that when we pray, we do not do so in order to show off our religious devotion, but endeavor to do so with humility. Right? So obvious place to go for this is uh, the Lord's Prayer, which... Uh, believe is and the high priestly prayer too oh yeah that's true um what's the i know it's on, i'm sure it's one of these on here matthew 6 yeah Which here we one go. Are you looking for? matthew 6 <clears throat> so matthew 6 5 and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Right? So this is Jesus talking about prayer, giving stipulations for how prayer should be done. So don't be super religious with your prayers and just be like, oh, Lord God in heaven and like stand out in front of everybody and try to get attention, right? Because you have received your only reward, which will most likely be people looking at you funny. Um, <laughs> but rather go oh, into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, yeah. right? Don't don't make a big deal out of it. But Right, should, okay, so let's, mm -hmm. let's clarify this and say that that doesn't mean that you have to pray in secret. No, because corporate prayer pray, is definitely important. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. This is this what this is saying, and the same with same with doing good. Okay, and 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 fasting is a part of this chapter as well. Matthew six, um, the Pharisees were doing it to get attention, and they were getting their reward. Okay, and so what he's saying is, if you want to be rewarded for doing it, do it in secret so that you mm -hmm. can't get a, another reward, and then God knows you're only doing it for Him. Now, if you've got to that point where you pray openly and you're not doing it for the people around you, you're doing it for God, right? Then it's it's the same principle. He's not saying never pray out in the open, right? Yeah. He's not saying it, make sure that nobody ever finds out that you fast, right? <laughs> um, and for the same reason that if you do good for somebody, you like, well, you don't want them to know, right? No, I don't want them to know that it was me, right? Because that's not the point. But I'm not going to avidly fight against that, right? If if it's a necessity for them to know that it was me, specifically for doing something good to an unbeliever, 
right? So that I have the opportunity to then preach the gospel to them. So, so there's a line there that that is a common sense understanding of God is not saying prayer has to be done in secret all the time. He's saying it against the Pharisees as a condemnation to them that they have got their reward. Yeah. Yep. And then also you have the the other part in there where it says, and when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll they'll be heard for their many words, right? Like this isn't something that you can just do by rote. Don't just like, and 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 this is a, a an interesting subject when we're talking about people who are. I mean, just talking about me particularly, I'm becoming more and more reformed, um, and that means that I'm more and more privy to um liturgy, and I wasn't really exposed to liturgy as a thing, um, as a, a non-denominational Christian in in Midwestern uh, America, um. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, liturgy basically is like the practices of the church, um, such as prayer and um, fasting and those sorts of things, right, that that you would do as the as the church and usually in ritual. It's like, you know, religious ritual is what liturgy basically means. Right. And so a lot of people will take this to be like you can't you can't just say a prayer that has already been written like you can't say a prayer together like you it has to be from your heart right like has to be and what they mean by that right is like it has to be made up on the fly right that's not like i think it's absolutely perfectly perfectly okay to just pray the lord's prayer yeah right from the psalms or or, from the psalms there's so many good psalms that you could pray pray scripture right that is there there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever that's not what this verse is saying because it gives in other places yeah go ahead heaping up empty phrases yeah is the word of God an empty phrase? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? No. If, if you were not worshiping in spirit, right? If you were not right. worshiping, uh, you know, because you want to, you're not actually meaning the words that you're saying, mm-hmm. then you are keeping up empty phrases personally. You know, the things that you're saying are good, but, you know, that's, that's I mean, it's, it's common sense. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sorry. So, so the Lord's prayer goes like this, right? Uh, Jesus says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? So praise God. That's, that's your first, you know, <laughs> this is giving a model for prayer, right? So praise, praise God, give him praise. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Lord, remember, like, uh, this is a reminder to us, right? We want God's will to be done, not our, not our own. Um, and then give us this day, our daily bread. So, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgotten our debtors. So be asking God for things is totally not wrong. That's like kind of the point of prayer as, as well as these other things, right? This is all part of prayer, asking God for things because then, you know, asking it for it in his will and ha- knowing that his will is higher than your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then asking for forgiveness for things that you've done. Um, because that, you know, continual repentance is a normal part of Christian life and an important part as we have also forgiven our debtors. So don't come to prayer with in, in, uh, you know, to God without, while you still hold hatred in your heart towards another person, right? Like that's not a good idea. Um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? So ask God for deliverance from temptation, from evil. And there you go. 
Um, and Jesus says, for you, if, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will you, will your father forgive your trespasses? Right. So, um, going back to the thing on, on fellowship that we talked about a little bit, give other people grace because you've been given much grace as well. Mm-hmm. But all of that is a part of prayer, right? Coming to the Lord with praise, with, um, an acknowledgement that his will will be done and not ours, but also in earnest, you know, uh, um, earnest emotion, asking God for things. That's, that's prayer as well, right? Like it's not bad. God's not a genie, but that doesn't mean you can't ask him to, to help you. That's like his, you know, the Holy Spirit's job is to help you. So that's not bad. Um, and then also, right, like asking God for forgiveness and forgiving others, um, you know, all parts of prayer. And asking God to help you with all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then corporate prayer, right? That's that's really important. So so here is something that uh, about corporate prayer that Definitely. I, uh, boy, like I I never enjoyed praying in front of other people. I always thought it was it was weird because because of this concept of I didn't like to gain, gain attention or grab attention mm-hmm. because I was praying. And once I changed my mindset from, oh, don't be prideful, don't be prideful, so don't pray, it, it then became, okay, I, I know I am humble. I'm not worried about, then it, instead of it became a thing of a genuine knowledge of I would be prideful if I'm trying to pray in front of other people, it became a, I know I'm not prideful if I'm going to pray in front of other people. And there's a purpose to it because I'm trying to edify people as I pray. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to... Uh, specifically exhort people when I pray of this is how we should pray. Right. Um, and stuff like that. And so it became a thing of, I don't care what people think I'm praying to God and I'm, I'm trying to benefit them by, Mm -hmm. by not only, uh, praying for them and, and to be able to say, Hey, I pray for this person who's in front of me, you know, and I pray for this and I pray for that. So they know that I love them and care about them. And, you know, they can hear what I'm praying for, but also, uh, you know, to have a godly man, uh, well, like a, a godly person, I should say, for generally speaking, but but specifically, you know, talking about me, um, to have somebody that is pr- pr- praying um, for them uh, or just for anything in a way that seems very different than how norm how people normally pray of being it's God's will, not mine, even if you know this happens and that happens, you're still God, you're still good, but this is what I'm praying and. Um, you know, and, and specifically just when, when we pray for unbelievers, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't know how to pray for unbelievers. And, and I specifically pray that, you know, the Holy spirit will change their hearts. The Holy spirit will open up their eyes to see the truth and the Holy spirit would save them. And, you know, that's, that is a way of, for me to edify people around me as well, a way of corporate prayer. So it's encouraging to the people it's edifying to the people. Um, and yes, it can be a prideful thing that you do. So be wary. Anything else, Carlos? You have any thoughts? Um, well, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but mm-hmm. the church that I'm currently going to um, started doing like a corporate prayer um, before every service where mm. everyone stands up and reads a prayer off the screen in unison. Cool. And yeah. it's, it's not just that like because we shouldn't just arbitrarily trust feelings to say this yeah. is biblical 
but it's such a uniting feeling to like hear all of these other believers around you saying praying the same prayer to god because you're like wow i'm not the only one in need of this counsel with god and i'm not the only one using these words to to cry out to him and yeah it's it's very cool yeah i think uh, it is so it's not on this list here but it is because i think it's kind of like intermixed with a lot of the other things but um worship through song um with believers mm. is also a, yeah. you know, a, a, a a part that like it's set it's commanded in scripture to exhort each other you know with spiritual songs and psalms and those sorts of things right and so we have a breadth of that as our, at, our, at our disposal in the mm-hmm. psalms themselves and then in songs that uh you know faithful christians have made throughout the centuries based off of scripture um either loose loosely or directly um and so th- I think that that's that's another thing that that came to mind when you said um you know it's a uniting feeling to to have be saying the you know praying the same words with other believers that's what I feel when um I'm when we when we sing a song this doesn't often happen but when we sing a song in in church that like it seems like everyone knows really well mm-hmm. um and they feel confident singing um and that's why I always I, I tweeted about this earlier today but that's why I, I always love coming back to songs over and over and over again so people can get familiar mm-hmm. with them and they feel confident singing them because it's there's n- nothing quite like singing with other believers so you can just feel it like in in the reverb right and like mm-hmm. hear all of the other believers singing along with you. We're all singing together a, a song in praise to God, right? Like it's an amazing feeling. And it, again, it, it's not it's not that feelings should define our, our worship experience, but it it's it's unites us in love, right? That's, that's one of the things that it does. And it's supposed to, um, as much as, you know, we shouldn't let feelings define why we do things, it's a great byproduct of, yeah. <laughs> of those things, right? Like it says in scripture to exhort each other with like, you know, spiritual songs, like, what do you think exhortation is, right? If you don't have an emotional response to exhortation, are you, a- have you been accurately exhorted, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, we should be encouraging each other, right? With these songs and prayer and all of these things, right? Um, and so it's totally not bad at all to have emotional response to, mm-hmm. to any of these things. Uh, in the words of the guy at the end of the Calvinist movie, whose name I forgot, um, <laughs> good theology should yeah. affect our, our 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 knowledge right and in turn yeah. that knowledge should affect our heart our desires mm-hmm. and our desire mm-hmm. should then inspire action yeah. and i paraphrased what he said but mm-hmm. yeah i just rewatched that so that's fresh yeah. In my memory. <laughs> yeah buddy and so uh because like singing isn't on here um i think it, it kind of goes in with a couple of different things right the sound teaching and understanding of the gospel the centrality of preaching and the devotion to prayer, all of those things, mm-hmm. right? Cause that's what song is when we're singing those things. We're not just singing because it sounds nice. We're singing because the words have meaning and they're mm-hmm. teaching something or they're exhorting yeah. us. They're encouraging Wait, us. What? They're we're uh, supposed praising to God. <laughs> yeah. They're yes. praising God, right? <laughs> we're those supposed sorts to not heap up empty phrases to God when we sing. Yes. 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 And we're supposed to not repeat the same chorus 25 <laughs> times. Uh, not necessarily, but if it's meaningless, then yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> If you even repeat the same chorus 15 times, if it's super theologically sound, but if it's just God, I want It'll you. It'll take you 15 <laughs> choruses to understand the deep theological yeah. implications of what I'm about to well, say. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, 
over and over again. I just tweeted about this, but it's not repetition that's the problem. It's repetition of empty phrases, right? It's the mm-hmm. idea that you just sing God, I want you over and over and over again without even knowing what you're saying. Like, you don't know what that means. You're just saying it, right? But, you know, like, um, uh, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Wow, that has some deep theological truth behind it. And it's about the same thing, right? Like, it's 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 probably what the person who said, God, I want you, meant to say, but, like, in a much better way. Um, but okay, so, prayer. Anything else on that? Or No. But yeah, so, important to do this in a cor- corporate context as well, which is why it's listed mm-hmm. in ecclesiology. Um. And, you know, pastors leading in prayer is super important mm. too, right? Like they, they're supposed to lead that in an extra, uh, an encouraging way, in a, uh, a unifying way, right? Where you're you're like, oh, the pastor is praying, so obviously we should pray too. And this should be a regular thing. And the pastor should exhort us to pray. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, leading us in that prayer and having it be a theologically sound prayer, helping, uh, having him model prayer for us like Jesus models prayer for us. Those are all important things. So last certainly not least for today fasting so turning to well here i'll just read off their little blurb fasting is abstinence from food and sometimes water for religious purposes example repentance humility mourning ministerial wisdom although fasting is not as vital and regular as its prayer this does not mean that fasting is not important for the christian life both individually and corporately as a church we should be willing to commit to fasting when there are important ministerial decisions to be made or when repentance is needed It is important to keep in mind that fasting is often accompanied with prayer and worship. The physical act of fasting has no spiritual merit to it, but we but must reflect our heart's attitude and have the intent of seeking God, drawing near to him, for then God will bless it. Fasting should be accompanied with moral or and ethical change, lest it become hypocrisy. Fasting, like prayer, is to be done quietly, not boastfully. So I think one thing I would like to mention right off the bat, Lent goes directly against this principle. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, because the entire thing is, look what I'm giving up for God. Yeah. Don't you see the ash on my head? Okay. Okay. Legitimately. Okay. Let's go back to Matthew six. Yep. When, when I had this revelation, I mm-hmm. literally was like, what, how, Yeah. how do we, how do we always get this stuff wrong? I don't understand. Um, it's like crazy. It says in Matthew uh, when- six sixteen. Yep. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full, but when, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face mm-hmm. so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret and who, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay. Literally. Now the context mm-hmm. the cultural context is different. Yes. Um, because I think they would they would put ashes on their head. Yeah, ash and sackcloth, right? Ash like, and sackcloth. Right. Okay. So we still do like an ash on like the forehead, right? People do like a cross ash on the forehead. Okay. The Bible literally tells them <laughs> if you're going to fast, wash your face. Yeah. yeah. So that people don't can't make it tell look that you're like you're doing something um, like sacrificial, basically. Like that's crazy. Yeah. I was like, God literally calling out lent like specifically (laughs) like that's crazy but yeah 
just uh, uh and even a thing of oh this is what i'm giving up for lent <laughs> you know it's like obviously you can do that in a way that's not trying to draw attention to yourself if somebody asks or you're just mm-hmm. you're maybe, maybe even after the experience like you're you're talking about it like hey like i gave up this for lent and whatever and stuff like that okay and those can be you know very beneficial conversations but if you're if you're doing lent because you're trying to seem holy, you're trying to seem spiritual. That's not the point. And especially for unbelievers, I feel like this one for sure. Um, yeah. Though you could say for prayer as well. If if you if somebody went out and is just trying to pray out loud and trying to witness to unbelievers, okay? And the same thing with fasting. If you went around walking around with your fasting head, you know, trying to get the attention of unbelievers so that you can seem holy so that you can witness to them, okay? That is the most prideful message you could possibly give to unbelievers, they don't want to see that. They don't want to see somebody of look, look how holy I am. You should come and be holy with me because I'm better than you. Like that's, that's what they see. That's what they see. Mm-hmm. And so that's why when people say, you know, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. It is always necessary to use words to clarify your actions. Mm-hmm. Always necessary to use words to clarify your actions, especially even if you're just preaching the gospel to just be like, Hey, look, I'm out here right now. Like maybe it's somebody you do know, maybe it's somebody you don't know. And you're like, dude, like for, for you, I don't know you. Right. Like I could be doing anything with my time right now. And yet I came out here to preach the gospel to you. Like that should show you that I love you. Right. Just, just expressing that, just saying that, or somebody who, you know, you do love, like, look, dude, this is awkward. Right. We could be having fun and playing video games right now. But instead, I want to have a serious conversation with you about this. And you might even hate me for this. Like, this is how much I care about the truth of this. It's how much I care about you because I know you're going to help. Right? Like, those are the kinds of things that show genuine sincerity, whereas fasting and prayer openly does not for a sign for unbelievers. The gospel is enough of a sign for unbelievers. That's all they need. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. All right, so fasting is still important. Fasting is something that's commanded in Scripture, and I think uh, I I honestly don't I haven't thought about this as much as I probably should have. Or mm-hmm. I mean, it's not something that we really talk about a whole lot. And no. when we do, it's in that context of like a hip, hip hypocritical context where it's like this big old thing, right? Look what where, I'm giving. Yeah, up. look what I'm look doing. What I'm fasting. Yeah, where it's like, and and so. I'm going to say this right now, knowing that Connor is wishing that I won't say this, but I have noticed many times that uh, Connor Connor will will be like, uh, and he doesn't say this to be prideful, but he, like uh, he's just like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm gonna fast today because I I need to like there's this big really big thing going up, and he's just telling me that as like a a passing thing, like wondering why he's not eating at all that day, sort of a thing, right? Um, but it's been a thing where I've just been like man, I need to do that too. But like Connor has been like faithful in that where I'm just like, yeah, you know what? It is probably a good idea for you to fast right now because of like whatever's going on, the situations that he's been in. And I was like, yeah, that's, that, that would, that's probably very helpful. And I, I honestly need to keep that in mind too. Um, I think we all do as Christians to, to have that be a, a semi-regular like thing in our lives when we need repentance um, right. When we're trying to be humility, when we're in mourning and when we need ministerial wisdom, um, that's been a lot of the times I've noticed Connor doing it, right. Is when something's coming up, he's going to have a, a very hard conversation with someone or, um, uh, you know, or, or he's, uh, going to teach somewhere, right. Like he, he fasts the day before because he's like, yeah, this is really important. I want to make sure I get this right. Sort of thing. Um, and again, I get to say that because I'm not, 
I'm not uh, <laughs> be, uh, being prideful. Uh, I'm just pointing out. Uh... Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so, so to cut myself down here, I have fasted twice okay. in my life. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> yep, I've noticed uh, once, both times. Okay, yeah. Once, once was uh, uh, presidential election day ah, yeah. for twenty sixteen. <laughs> so when I went out and voted, I was like, you know what? I think I should just fast for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, and then the other time I fasted, and the time I fasted for the election day, I think I fasted for maybe twelve hours. Something like that. I didn't fast for a whole 24-hour period. Ah, so you did and then, Ramadan. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that means. But, uh, <laughs> it's the Islamic practice where you, like, fast all day, but then at night you eat. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's that's what I did, I guess. I guess I'm an Islamist now. Um, and then... Okay, Islamist uh, is a very different thing from Islamic. <laughs> i just like to point that out. Uh, thank you. I, I don't and, know. Uh, I just learned about this, so... Yeah, and, uh, and so then the other time was a time where I was going to talk with somebody about something um, and, and, and other people were talking to them about it too. And I was like, I literally am so stressed out about this situation that I'm just going to fast because I cannot afford to not have this go right. Is pretty much what it was in my mind that these two Christian people that are doing something that I believe to be wrong. And uh, you know, this is a very sensitive situation and so I was like, I'm going to fast. And then I, and, and in my mind as well, I did that so that if, if, if they were like, oh, like it's not that big of a deal kind of a thing, then I could tell them, look, I literally fasted about this. And I did tell them when I did talk about the talk with them is that I've literally spent 24 hours fasting about this and praying. And I spent some time alone with God and, and like, like this is important. And, and so that's what I did. And, uh, yeah. So, so I have not fasted very many times in my life. It was twice. Um, but it was very hard the first time. Um, and I did eat at night and because I was like getting sick and I was like, I don't want to have to go into work sick because I was fasting. I feel like that would be irresponsible of me. And then the other time it was a lot easier for me. And I was honestly kind of like, Oh, okay. Well, my fasting period is up. And I was kind of like, I feel like I could go longer, but I was kind of like, I don't really need to. I don't know why I would. I feel like eating is a good thing too. So I'm <laughs> going to eat food. And I was like, yeah, that it's probably not wise to just see how long I can fast for. And I feel like that's just weird. And so I made a commitment to fast for 24 hours and that's what I did. And yeah, but anyway, um, so that's, that's one of the most important things that I would say about fasting is, is, um, and, and they mentioned it there that it's, it's not just abstaining from something the physical act of it, but it's a spiritual act of worship, right? That mm -hmm. my intentions by this is to make myself right before God. Um, John Piper said it the best way that um, fasting is adding an explanation point to the words, I need you. <laughs> uh, like a God, I need you. And fasting is just adding an explanation point to that. Um, and to just make sure that you, you mean do fulfill. exclamation point? Did I not say that? I, I felt Ex like you were saying explanation point. <laughs> oh, exclamation yeah. point. There you go. Um, and uh, I f it's very important, I think, to to make sure that it, if you're going to fast, so you don't just see how long you can go for or just make it an impulsive thing. But you say, I want to fast for this amount of time and focus on God for this amount of time kind of a thing. And, you know, let that be what it is. Um, I feel like that's... Um, 
that's that's where the standard should be. Um, and then the other thing I would say about fasting is we 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 should put fasting in the category that people want to put prayer in. And that is that most people mm. would say prayer is a last resort and mm. that you don't go to God in prayer unless there's a problem, right? Like this big major problem comes down. I'll guess, I guess I'll pray now. We should always be in prayer mm-hmm. and fasting should be our, okay, this is our last resort. I don't know what to do. Okay. I guess we'll fast. Um, and, and unless you guys have something else to say on this matter, I have a, a, in Ezra, there's a really, really fun story about fasting that I love that I'll read. Um, I think my only point was just bringing it back to um, ecclesiology, right? Because that's kind of the point of, of this is, I mean, <clears throat> that's why the reason it's in this section on ecclesiology is because it's something that us as the corporate body of Christ should partake in, right? As As the body. Um, as the local church, right? When when we need repentance for the body, when we need humility in the body, when we need more, when we are mourning, when we are seeking for ministerial wisdom about a decision that the church has to make, something like that, right? This should be regular par for the course of uh, those sorts of stressful situations um, in the local church, um, because it's modeled modeled for us in Scripture everywhere. So take it away, Connor. I have to find the passage still. Ezra eight. Uh, maybe, maybe, hold up, in there now. Uh, 8.21. Are you sure? That's what's listed in the, um, the references. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, so, yeah. (laughs) Wait, that's one of the verses that's listed in the fasting thing? Yeah. Yep. Uh Oh. (laughs) That's funny. Okay, so, uh... So uh, Ezra and and the people are trying to go to uh, repair the temple, right? And they're trying to bring all this stuff with them. Um, at least I believe that's what's happening here. And uh, yeah, so they're, so they're trying to go to, to and travel to this place. Okay, so verse 21. Then I rep- uh, proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. So literally he was like, like we boasted to the king and said, yeah. our God will take care of us. And then they were like, oh crap, there's bandits. Like, <laughs> uh, like this is a very dangerous situation. This, this could be considered foolish of us, but I don't want to, to seem like to this king that we don't trust our God. And so they're like, okay, mm-hmm. so we're going to do something that potentially may be stupid and we're going to fast about it and pray about it. And then we're going to go and do it. And, and then they were fine. So yeah. So I just, I love that. I was reading that, uh, on, on the same, actually on the same trip that I, uh, would had to, uh, uh, talk to these people about, um, which is funny. So I think that might've been what, uh, why that was in my head to then fast. That might've been, though I might have read Ezra might've been reading Ezra after that. I'm not sure. Pretty sure I was reading it beforehand. And then so that, that's probably why that stuck in my head. 
But yeah, that I just I thought that was funny. That's all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Carl, do you have any any other thoughts? Um. Well, I was listening to an old episode of Reform Pubcast a little while ago, which is Oof. another great podcast. And um, and Tanner, one of the co-hosts, was talking about how um, he had fasted. I don't remember how long it was, but before he uh, proposed to his wife. Mm. And um, and he was talking about like the significance of it for him and how every time he realized he was hungry, that was a reminder to go to God in prayer. And like mm. it, it reminded him of his need for God in this this time where he was seeking wisdom. And right. that was that's one of the things that I constantly think of when I think of fasting is yeah. that it's because it's because we need God. It's not because we're trying to be extra holy or right. anything like that. It's a humbling thing. Yeah. It's it's saying I can't do this. So mm-hmm. I'm appealing to God and I, I'm making sure that God knows that my heart is clean and pure before him by abstaining from something that I need, but I'm saying I need God more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Uh, I think we should go ahead and wrap up here. Cause my voice is basically dying. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this has been the Christian artist. This is a uh, part two of our series on ecclesiology. And it's the last part of our series on ecclesiology. And I say series, I just mean a two part episode. What we're actually yeah. doing is a series on uh, all of the ologies, ologies in the Christian life. And um, we've gone through epistemology and ecclesiology. And uh, next week, we're going to go through missiology. Missiology? Missiology? I don't know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> missiology. We're going to study missie. Yes. We're going to we're going to study the we're going to study missions. What is missions? And um, we'll probably just reference a lot of the things we learned at uh, G3. We'll talk about our experience at G3 yes. in general and then uh, take away some of the, you know, the the general stuff that we learned and then point you to those videos for the specifics. So, uh, yeah, you can find us on, uh, on Facebook at Christian Artist Show facebook.com slash christian artist show <laughs> at twitter on twitter at oh my gosh Caleb's button is <laughs> how do i do this <laughs> hold up hold up hold up hold let up, me try this up. again right ready are you ready i'll poke the button ready <laughs> you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash christian artist show at uh at twitter at christ underscore art underscore show and at our website at christian artist show.com this that has been the cool. christian artist <laughs> I, i'm so sick guys i don't feel well um, but, uh, yeah, this has been the Christian artist and, uh, it has been a good episode and I'm excited for next week. We talk about missiology and get to talk to you, Carly, a little bit about, um, yeah. fun stuff at, uh, at uh, the G3 conference. I caught like two of the live streams. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, read, listen, uh, listen to all of them before next week and, uh, we'll, <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they're we'll so cool. Yeah. I'll probably honestly download them this week and listen to some of them again. So um yeah there you go uh that is the christian artist thank you so very much for listening and watching and we'll be back this thursday with a new episode of terranolius episode 30 um 
we're also going to do uh, an episode of Anadomini this week, which I'm super excited about. Jared came over today and we made his character and it is going to be so <laughs> oh, no. good. So, so good. Oh, it's going to be amazing. So that's it. And hopefully I will be there for part of it. <laughs> yes. And, and yes. And, and Carly will probably show up in the last half. Uh, but that's totally fine because you guys just jumped into the Feywild. So the crazy things are going to happen. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, so that's it uh, for us here at The Christian Artist. Thank you very much. We out. Bye.